or the Buddha has, uh, from his own experience, created uh, an applied anthropology. His study of man says, has led him to the result to say that we have what we would call today a malaise. We, f- uh, we feel ill. And that's what is in, expressed here is suffering. The word suffering is not quite what he meant. We live in a state of ill-being so rather than well-being. And because of our greed, because of our hate, because of our ignorance. Hi, and welcome to the Rethinking Humanity podcast, where we dive deeper into what makes us human and what causes us to thrive. I'm Lacey Delane. Hi, I'm Sonia Lorea. And we are so excited to be talking to you guys again. Uh, it's been a, a little while since we had our last episode, but we're uh, still here and kicking. We're, again, we're not going anywhere. It might take a second, but uh, yeah, we're, we're here. How, how are you, Sonia? How are you? It is late May and uh, 2020. Lots of stuff going on in the world, especially in the last week. All right. How are you doing over there? Um, I'm hanging in here, but it's been a tough tough week and a tough day. And uh, as we all know what's going on in the news, uh, I'll let Lacey expand on that. But we, uh, a little sad, um, a little bit confused and and hurt and just feeling pain for what's happening in uh, the Black community. Yeah, you know, it's a painful day. I had to uh, break out the beer. (laughs) That's good. I saw that. I saw that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you saw it earlier, right? Uh, wow. Uh, I think I would say I've definitely been pretty raw feeling today. Just it's a it's a painful day to be an American. There's so much happening uh, today, this week. Brief. I'll mention. I think most people who've been paying attention to the news would would know the story here. But Monday morning, there was a woman in Central Park, I believe, in New York City. Mm-hmm who was her dog off of the leash uh, where she wasn't allowed to legally. A black man asked her to put the dog on a leash. She said, I'm going to call the cops on you and tell them that you're, uh, you know, accusing or attempting to murder me or hurt me. Uh, that was Monday morning, Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. That's how that all kicked off. And then Monday night we had the murder of George Floyd um, by a police officer there in Minneapolis and since there's been riots, um, looting, burning, uh, mm-hmm. last night we had the burning of the precinct in which that, that police officer worked. Uh, and the, the footage is just, Appalling. it's incredible. It's yeah, so, I, I, I have no words. I can't, I couldn't watch, you know, I think I told you, I said, I was like halfway through, I can't do it, can't do it. It's, it's extremely painful, super sad. And um, yeah, we also, if listeners are tuned in, we did a bonus episode where we really dive into it. Yeah, absolutely. So take a listen to that. It's, it's episode three uh, bonus. Um, So take a, take a listen to that. Um, Yeah, we, we dive deep into all of it. It's really sad. I mean, I think the pain, I feel a lot of pain, today for our country in general, more specifically and more more intensely for the black community 
uh, for African-American men. If I was dating a black guy, I would be so scared right now. If I had a black child, I would be scared Mm -hmm. right now. I have so many wonderful uh, friends that are of multiple races, um, multiple black friends and multiple black male friends that I, I just can't imagine the pain that they're going through right now because this has happened so many times. This is not like the first time this has happened. No. Yeah. No, unfortunately it's history repeating itself. And um, there aren't words just to describe uh, all the emotions that, you know, that uh, we're having with this, but um, Mm -hmm. you know, hopefully you and I are doing our little part in talking to you know, sending our message out about rethinking the way we're, we're living and, and acting yeah. and, and being in this world. Yeah. Yes, I hope so. Uh, and that's what we want to accomplish with what we're doing here. So if you want to hear a little bit more of our thoughts on Minneapolis, the riots, the murder, um, COVID-19, how it's developed over time, how it's particularly impacting us, the unemployment um, that it looks like it's going to continue to to um, be the case. Take a listen to that bonus episode. Um, and uh, we just want to just say how much we are in solidarity with the Black community at this point, with all of us. Like, we're all yeah. interconnected. I think that's yeah. something we've done on the podcast before, and we're saying uh-huh. it again in this, at this moment. Like, just want to say, like, hey, we're standing with you and we're in pain with you and we have no idea what it feels like because we're not black. That's but we true. love you and we want we want to see some healing here. Amen. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh not cool, but but cool as we transition into the next section of what we're gonna be talking about today with Eric Fromm. Again, super timely. Uh mm-hmm. I think stuff is timely, even if we weren't going through a pandemic or a a massive week of racism. Uh, Because as we are able to shift away from a having mode of existence to a being mode of existence, we can recognize these things in ourselves before they happen and before they become uh, something so massive that, you know, it becomes uh, violence uh, and damaging to a whole community. Yeah. So, uh, so go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to start. Um, well, we're looking at chapter two for those that are following along. And mm-hmm. the, ch- the title of the chapter is Having and Being in Daily Experience. So, one of the first um, parts of this that Frome gets into is learning, which I think is yeah. really, really fascinating. So, I was going to read um, before we do that. Yeah. Let me, me give a little overview oh, and then sure. let's do the learning. No, okay. it's cool. Um, so basically the intro of the chapter is is from talking about the fact that we live because we live in such a material focused society. It's hard for people to even conceive that there is an alternate way to orient their life than via the having mode of existence because we have been conditioned because we've lived so long in the having mode of existence. Um, from gives in the chapter, he gives examples, concrete examples of the differences of each mode in eight different areas of life. I'm going to tell you what those eight are. And then Sonia and I are going to highlight a couple of those areas that we feel like we're just 
really, really, really good. Um, and it's this is particularly helpful to get uh, a concrete idea of kind of what this looks like. So those different um, areas of life were learning, remembering, conversing, reading, exercising authority, knowledge, faith, and loving. So we wanted to start with learning. So Sonia, go ahead and tell us uh, kind of what you felt you okay. wanted to highlight from learning. Sure, sure, sure. I want to read a little bit and then I'll, I'll talk to you about how I feel about this. Okay. Uh, in cool. fact, the having type individuals feel rather disturbed by new thoughts or ideas mm. about a subject. Because the new puts into question the fixed sum of information they have. And then if we go to the being person, is the being person listens, they hear, and most important, they receive and they respond in an active, productive way. So there's a lot to talk about there. What I was yeah. wanting to address was the having. Um, I think all of us who have been to school, any kind of school, elementary, junior high, whatever, college, we typically are learning and we're receiving and we're memorizing and we're just regurgitating that information. And yes. what Chrome talks about, which we've all been exposed to that, is if you're in the being mode, you're more receptive to hearing things and you're also analyzing and critically thinking. Yes. Which is yeah. very important in learning. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, if if we're just hearing something and and regurgitating it, uh, I think most of us could attest to this. That is likely not something that sticks in our memory. However, when you are able to process some information, critically think about it, not just take it because someone told it to you for face value and that it is what it is, but go, okay. But what about this? And how about that? And what if this isn't actually true? And in my experience, it was blah, blah, blah. Uh, those are the types of things that tend to stick with you. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't remember a damn thing that I learned in high school specifically that's, you know, moved with me my whole life and been something that I've integrated into my daily life and what's like um, influenced who I am. However, living in Guatemala totally did that for me. Correct. It totally had an influence on uh, changing who I am, me being able to see who I am in a different way. And I thought critically, I had to think critically about the society that I was living in and myself as a result of that experience. Yeah, I think... Um most people can probably relate to the part about high school is very difficult to recall facts and things that you've learned. And I think what's mm -hmm. interesting is that this idea of having, so when you have something, it's like you're possessing, you've got this possession yeah. of knowledge and how does that actually help you as opposed to being and having an, taking an active role in listening and comprehending and actually experiencing, to your point, uh, Lacey, when you went to another country, then you were living it. You were living this experience. And therefore, yeah. it had a greater, obviously, a greater impact. And I love the way, I think I told you this today, that um, I'm going to try to change my vocabulary. Instead yeah. of saying, I have, 
which we tend to do. We tend to do the nouns. I have something instead of actually saying what it is, is in the being mode, which we could give right. multiple examples. I think we said, I have friends, right? And the That's right. opposite of that is your time. I am a friend to many. Yes, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a great challenge. Um, and actually, um, you know, there's something we talked about in episode two, the language and how that's changed. And it is incredible to think about how evident the having mode of existence has become based on our language. I I want to take you up on that challenge as well. Okay. Uh, and I, I invite listeners to do it too and send us messages or, uh, you know, tweet to us or Instagram, whatever, let us know how it's going and you know, what you're noticing about yourself as you do. Also, we invite you to not be judgmental of yourself because it's not your fault that you've been conditioned to think that way for so right, long. Right, right, right. Kudos to you for, you know, wanting yeah. to do something a little different. Uh, one other thing I would point out from the learning section was that he, he's saying in the having mode of existence, when students learn, the content does not become a part of their own individual system of thought. It doesn't enrich or widen it at all. It just, it's like, it's a thing that they consume mm -hmm. and push out, you know, again. Right. And it's not, it's there for a test and that's about it. It's a very, it's like a temporary holding place. And, yeah. and it's a scary thing for, for people who live in the having mode um, because the new, as he says in the quote that you read earlier, puts into question the fixed sum of information they already have. So they have this information, they have this truth that blah, 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 blah is the case. And they do not want to question that because then they lost something that they have. And that feels scary yeah. because it's losing something that they have. Well, and I love this because I'm going to transition here. There's a section in this chapter that talks about reading and I could relate to this and I'll explain to the audience that Lacey and I are in a philosophy group. And so mm -hmm. I've learned a lot about different philosophers. And I noticed that when I was reading about them, I had a tendency to try to kind of remember, okay, this is what this philosopher believes. It's sort of like I was acquiring this knowledge. And what I love that Fromm says is, for example, something is sort of high level that we think of as philosophy is we need to look at that information and critically think. And we can be challenged and say, hmm, I don't agree with this. Or how does this affect my life? And I love that he uses that as an example because we do have a tendency to sort of elevate some of these conversations where if we're in the being mode, we're listening and we're able to look at that and actually analyze it. Like, what am I getting out of this? Instead of just accepting, oh, I have this knowledge. I think yes. he makes a great example there. Yeah, and, and he also says that the people who are reading in the mode of being, um, they sometimes will come to their own conclusion, like that actually wasn't that good of a book. Exactly. I love yeah. That. yeah. 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 And I yeah. think that's the power we all have mm -hmm. uh, to think critically. And that's exciting, actually. It's like, oh, wait, I don't just have to read this and believe everything it says. Like, I can judge well, it based on my own interior thoughts and feelings and judgments. Well, so this is so interesting. Like, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but um, I remember 
in my past when everybody would be talking about a book, let's just say it's a bestseller, and everybody's saying, oh, that book is so great, you've got to read it. And you know, I love to read, you love to read. So I read it and I think, that book was awful. Or I didn't like that book, you know? But then I felt like I couldn't say that because everybody's saying they like it, you know? And so Prom mm -hmm. is giving us permission to say, hey, that book didn't do anything for me. I don't relate to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's, uh, that's exciting. And I also think it points to a, a sort of creativity that gets left out of uh, non-critical thinking, like learning to think more linear or regurgitate things. That's kind of boring. But whenever you're like, what mm -hmm. do you think about that? What hits you? What strikes you? Mm -hmm. You know, like, how do you perceive that? Is there some truth in it? Is there not truth in it? That is a whole nother story. It's a lot more creative than, than the flip side. And it's a lot more fun too, because you you can have a much more enriching conversation in that way than just coming in, writing down shit and then throwing <laughs> out the bubbles. Exactly. Exactly. No. Yeah. Love it. Love uh, it. So the other one that we both really, really enjoyed, I think this one is probably one of the best illustrations um, that he points to in this chapter is authority and exercising authority. So I'm going to read a little bit and bear with me uh, mm -hmm. if I read, uh, you know, a little bit more than we may have in the past on the podcast on this one. But I think it's important to just get across a couple of good points here. And then, Sonia, interrupt me if you want to say something uh, okay. you know, going on too long. So um, another example of the difference between the modes of having and being is the exercise of authority. The crucial point is expressed in the difference between having authority and being an authority. Those who bring up children must exercise authority, whether they want to or not, in order to protect their children from dangers and give them at least minimal advice on how to act in various situations. Uh, in a patriarchal society, women, too, are objects of authority for most men. We could go on a whole tangent <laughs> there. Uh, so anyways, he says rational authority. There's two kind of separate, um, you know, ways to, to talk about authority, rational or irrational authority. Rational authority is based on competence mm -hmm. and it helps the person who leans on it to grow. Irrational authority is based on power and serves to exploit the person that is subjected to it. So before I, I want to read the next little part about primitive societies, but before I do, I'd love to just kind of sit here for a second. Rational authority being based on competence. Let's, let's talk about that. Uh, yeah, that's oh, just really, I love this. I, I love the fact that it's not about power or um, will. It's about the competency and the fact that the person that is competent for the task kind of emerges, you know, that, that, yes. and that's accepted. It's not someone, I hate to use this word, but I'll use it bullying their way into a position of authority, which yeah. is, is not going to be uh, long lasting or healthy for any, any environment, mm -hmm. any society. And um, he definitely, that's just, I just absolutely love that. And yeah, the primitive society, I know you're going to talk about that now. So I'll yes. let you go to that. 
So he says, among the most primitive societies, the hunters and food gatherers, authority is exercised by the person who is generally recognized as being competent for the task. I think we can learn a lot here. A lot. What qualities this competence rests on depends much on the specific circumstances, although the impression would be that they would include experience, wisdom, mm -hmm. generosity, skill, presence, courage. No permanent authority exists in many of these tribes, but an authority emerges in the case of need. Yeah. At the time, as a need develops, the leader just is is just revealed because that person has the competence to do that. Um, or there are different authorities for different occasions, war, religious practice, adjustment of quarrels. When the qualities on which the authority rests disappear or weaken, the mm -hmm. authority automatically ends. Yeah. A very similar form of authority may be observed in many pr primitive societies in which competence is often established, not by physical strength, by but by such qualities as wisdom and experience. Right. No, yeah. super. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I think that shows, it definitely shows a society that responds to, just like he says here, a need. It doesn't appear that there's someone who doesn't want to give up power. But the society is aware there's this need. Now the competent person shows up. And then that need yeah. maybe goes away and another competent person shows up. To me, yes. that, that is the ideal that we yes. need to be striving for. Instead of that holding on to power, I don't want to mm -hmm. give up my power, don't want to give up my power. And we know, well, there's story, you know, history, stories after story of how damaging that is. Um, mm -hmm. I think it takes uh, someone, uh, a leader who is very, you know, grounded, very well grounded mm -hmm. person that exactly. could be that person. Absolutely. And he says that in the next paragraph, he says, being authority is grounded not only in the individual's competence to fulfill certain social functions, but equally so in the very essence of a personality that has achieved a high degree of growth and integration. Is that unbelievable? I mm -hmm. mean, I think of that statement is so powerful. The yeah. growth and integration that takes a very unique person that is going to be able to say, okay, I'm leading, but now I need this person who's smarter than me on this or that person or collectively yeah. right. a group together. I mean, and, I, then, I and listen, listen to the next part. This is so good. Such persons radiate authority and they don't have to give orders or <laughs> threaten or bribe because why? Because people are like, oh, that guy's a leader. I can see it. It just comes off of them. Yeah. And, and it's not, and I, I would say like, it's not because they want some kind of praise. It's because they're taking responsibility. They're stepping up and they're right. doing something that needs to be done in a moment where it's, it needs to be done. They're solving a problem and they're yeah. leading away and it's just natural. It just yeah. happens. And he goes on to say they're highly developed individuals, which I would have to agree. Let me ask mm -hmm. you, in your um, experience, have you come across, well, either or leader, a leader that is more the power leader or a leader that is competent? Do you have any experience with that in your own lifetime? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the majority of the leadership that we see today, unfortunately, um, in, in politics anyway, tends to be not from the being mode uh, right. of existence. I agree. I agree. Um, unfortunately, uh, I'd say, you know, uh, I try not to talk too much about Andrew Yang on this podcast because oh, yeah. this podcast not about Andrew Yang, <laughs> but, uh, but I would absolutely say that that was my very, very best experience with working with an authority figure and one that mm -hmm. many people knew. Right. Um, him and also Zach were incredible. Like uh, there was no, there was no, uh, what does he say in here that they have to bribe or give orders or threat. I never felt, um, you know, disrespected or like I was being micromanaged. It right. was very much the most empowering experience I've had from a worker, from a work perspective. You know, and, and um, from talking to you many times, Lace, about your experience, you know what word comes to mind and you can tell me if I'm correct is humility. I just see yeah. that degree of someone who doesn't need to be like showboating, like, look at me. I have the power. Nothing like that. Yeah. And yet very yeah, absolutely a hundred percent. And and I mean if you look at it, the people who feel like they don't need people to praise them, they don't need to be, you know, look at me, look at me, praise me, praise me. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones who have the maturity, the humility, the real skill, because they know I don't have to flaunt things. Why? Right, because right. I I'm I'm emanating. I'm 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 possessing these skills, these qualities, this character orientation that's necessary in order to be a leader. I don't need to tell people that shit. They'll know <laughs> it if they just look. <laughs> you know right, saying? right. Yeah, they and that definitely time. that's that's the sign of a of a true leader. And you're right. We we're missing that. That's it's very hard to find um, individuals that have the that those uh, skills and ability. Especially today, yeah, and, so yeah. yeah, and that's a big part of the reason why I was so very uh, willing to work so hard for for that cause for that platform. Um, you know, there was something that we talked about in this section before we move on. Okay, uh, that was really good, and it was tied to politics. Oh, uh, well, you remember that quote? Yeah, there's there's one part here that I think that in frequently in modern democracy with authorities mm -hmm. elected on the basis of their photogenic yeah. physiognom, I can't even say the word, but. Okay. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah. Physio, physio, physionomy. I'll have to Nomi. look that Physionomy. Word. Okay. Or the amount of money they can spend on their election. There oh may be God. almost no relation between competence and authority. So we can totally relate to that. I think that's the one you're talking about. That is um, right. That is right. I'm going to look this word up because I know I've said a word wrong <laughs> on this podcast before and I want to get it right. Okay. P-H-Y-S-I-O-G-N-O-M-Y. Yeah, you can keep this in the word today. Physiognomy. Physiognomy. Okay, Physiognomy. You had it right, I think. Thank you so much. Okay, cool. It says... A person's facial features or expression, especially when regarded as indicative of char character or ethnic origin. So 
basically judging whether they're politically fit based on their facial features. Oh yeah. And I have to add this part. It's just so good. Finally, one must uh -huh. consider that it is much easier for the members of a small tribe to judge the behavior of an authority than it is for the millions of people in our system who know their candidates yes. only by the artificial image created by public relations specials. Come on, Isn't so good, so okay. good. One of the reasons why we, I feel like we both feel this way, we need community again. We need small, Yeah. we need mm -hmm. community. And we, and I think uh, we're better governed in a, in a, in a smaller setting, in a way right. where we're in smaller groups. Right. Locally, right. Local. I don't know what that looks yeah. like. Yeah, exactly. But I love uh, that part. Cause I think people feel stuff, alienated, you know, from the, from the authority. So Absolutely. that's really, it's hard. Yeah. And it's hard for such a big country, like you're saying for us in such a big country to kind of feel like we really can know, who these folks are and why a lot of people are really disengaged and they're disengaged. They're yeah. Not, yeah. They're just not, they don't have trust in the system. You know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Good stuff. So yes, yes. Very good stuff. Uh, I love Eric from, did I mention that? Already? Yes. yes <laughs> you said it. Yeah. Okay. Conversing. That was the next one that we wanted to talk about. Um, conversing is, uh, you know, two, oh, oh gosh, this is another one where we could read a little bit. Do you okay. want to open or do you um, want me to? Go ahead and open. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to read a little bit because okay. uh, I think he says it better than I do. He says, um, two examples of conversations can show us what this is. Let us take a typical conversation, conversational debate between two men in which A has opinion X and B has opinion why each mm -hmm. identifies with his own opinion and what matters to each is to find better i.e more reasonable arguments to defend his own opinion <laughs> yes. neither expects to change his own opinion or that his opponent's opinion will change each is afraid of changing his own opinion precisely because it is one of his possessions it's something he has and hence it's loss would mean an impoverishment and really a loss of their self, which is scary whenever that's your mode of mode of um, mode of experience. No. Yeah. Um, no, this is so good. This, this is also another part that I just love. Um, mm -hmm. It says, well, the having persons rely on what they have, the being persons rely on the fact that they are. And I yeah. think what happens is that there's, um, this exchange of commodities when you're in the being mode that it becomes a dialogue in which it does not matter anymore who's right. And we need that because right now with um, mm -hmm. this idea of, you know, two sides, which I, I think is just unhealthy, there is more the idea of what you're talking about of possessing information and trying to be right. I have the answer. Mm -hmm. I have the knowledge. And it doesn't allow one to be open to hearing new ideas. Yeah. And to think it's just actually possession. Like I have this, you know, I have this book and I have the answer, you know, and don't, no one can, is going to change my mind, which is so unbelievably um, damaging right now. 
because it's polarized. Mm. It's really polarized us, as you, as you know. I'm uh, you understand this, yeah. Well, of course, and I think it's one of the things that are it's making right now so hard how polarized we are. And as he's laying out here, excuse me, being able to orient ourselves in the being mode would help that so right. much. It would bring us together. So he says that folks who converse in and in, in the being mode, their egos don't stand in their way. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly why you fully respond to the other person and their ideas. So for them, it's not about defending what their ideas are or not hearing the other person because they're scared of losing their opinion because it's a possession that mm-hmm. defines them. They actually can listen. And because they can listen, they give birth to new ideas because they're not holding on to anything. Mm-hmm. And they can also produce and they can give. And they are just relying on the fact that they are, that they're alive. And, and they know that they can trust themselves in whatever situation. They don't have to be afraid of losing something in a conversation. And that if they have the courage to let go and respond, that something new can be mm-hmm. born out conversation. I think that's what we're so addicted to with right. the philosophy group. <laughs> yes. I mean, the, the part that strikes me there is giving birth to new ideas. I mm-hmm. think that's what we need to focus mm-hmm. on because we need creativity. We don't need to say, this is what I believe and no one's going to change my mind. And this is my, where I stand. And you've got another person saying the same thing. There's no, you're not meeting each other. Yes. Not, that's not a conversation. Yes. That's just possession of my idea and you're not changing it. And yes. as Chrome is stating, that that's not going to move the needle. You know, we're not no. going to move forward in those, no. those states. Um, I love it. I absolutely totally relate yeah. to this. <laughs> and he says too, I love this. He says that uh, the conversation ceases to be an exchange of commodities, something mm-hmm. I, I have, something you have. And becomes a dialogue in which it doesn't matter who's right anymore. Yeah, yeah, and the exactly. dualist, he calls it, he says, this is very poetic. The dualists begin to dance together and they part not with triumph or sorrow, which are equally sterile, but with, joy, with joy. Because they had a genuine interaction with each other. Absolutely. I mean, this is this we are really lacking in this. Uh, everybody comes sort of to the table with their already they're pre uh, a predisposition. They already know what they're going to say, you know, what they believe. And, you know, you've had these conversations where I'm sure I'm guilty of it too, where you're already formulating the argument. You're not even listening. You're just yeah. like state what you're right. going to say. What am I going to say now? Yeah, exactly. And what from talks about here. Yeah. Is this, it's a completely the part of letting go of your ego. That's, incredible that's really what you need to get to a place where Mm -hmm. creativity flourishes and these new ideas are born that's what we need in politics uh and to be honest that is what i really saw in andrew yang i mean this is a guy not to again go on about him but it's rightful it's it's a rightful you know brag or whatever but uh this is a guy who went on multiple and had long conversations with multiple folks who were would consider themselves conservatives, mm-hmm. conservative news stations, uh, and and left 
And they're like, they both, the, the people that he talked to, they're still in touch with them today. Mm-hmm. You know, they're friendly. And it's, there was a connection made. There was, there was the common ground found. And so, I, I mean, I think it's quite amazing. You know, his, he, well, he's an infectious guy because what he, he, he is in the being mode of existence in a conversation. He's not worried about losing, you know, the ideas that he has and he can bring people together that way. That's why I think he's such a great candidate for president. We need that right we need, now. We need that. And what I love about him, I'll just do my own little take. I know you were in the campaign is the fact that he's mm-hmm. open to learning. He'll state, hey, if I don't know about a subject, he goes out and learns it or talks to the people who know that have written the books. Yes. And the he is exactly doing this. He's having those conversations where you're yes. exchanging this information and you're open to thinking outside the box. This is what we need. Yeah. We don't need someone standing, you know, staunch in their belief and they're not going to move. Yeah. I've watched him interact with people on the trail and listen to what their ideas were and then be in the car later and like, be like, wow, that was actually a really good idea. We need to consider that. I want to do some research on that. Let's, Think about that. Wow. Imagine that. That's a whole new way of doing things. Somebody that listens to their constituents. Imagine that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm not bitter or anything today. Can you tell? (laughs) (laughs) No. He's a great example. Absolutely. And we need need in our daily lives to have more of these conversations. I, I look forward to talking to people that don't necessarily align with my beliefs, but are respectful and we can have a dialogue. The whole idea is to yes. have a conversation going and be learning mm-hmm. from one another, not to be in yeah. one corner and somebody else be in the other corner. We're not going to help anyone doing that. Yeah. That doesn't make any, any progress. No. So the last section that we'll jump to from this chapter is the section on loving. I oh. will say before is so good. <laughs> before we go too far into this, I will say that Frome has a book um, that I've listened to that's really good. It's called The Art of Loving. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe you can find it uh, on YouTube, actually, uh, for free and just listen to the whole thing. Um, so just a little heads up there that he kind of goes in more depth into this if you're if you're interested in hearing more. So what did you see? He, what struck you about this section? Oh, my gosh. Everything struck me. Um, so I like that he says, in reality, there exists only the act of loving. To yes. love is a productive activity. Yes. Isn't that, wasn't that good? And he says you can't mm-hmm. fall in love. I love that, too. Since it's a productive activity, one can mm-hmm. only stand in love or walk in love. So because mm-hmm. fall in love denotes passivity. And I think our culture, you know, the whole idea of falling in love, right? Which is just ridiculous. Yeah. And and I absolutely um, appreciate that he talks about the act of loving. I know this is one of your favorites. Yeah. What, what struck you, Lacey? It is one of my favorites. Um, and it kind of going along that same uh, thread of that to act is, or I'm sorry, to love is active. It's, it's an action. It's something you do. Uh, he says that to love is a productive activity. This is just so good to me. It implies caring for, knowing, 
responding, affirming, and enjoying the person, the tree, the painting, the idea. It, it implies caring for, knowing, responding to, affirming, enjoying the person, the tree, the planting, the idea. It means bringing to life, increasing his or her or its aliveness. It is, and it's a process. It renews itself and it increases itself over time. It's beautiful. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. Because I think we, yeah, we've looked at love as sort of a possession, right? We want to mm -hmm. own that. And he sort of defies that with all, all of this. Yeah. Defies I that mean, perspective. Yeah. I mean, this, it's clearly active. You, you don't fall into caring for someone. You don't fall into responding to them. You intentionally care for them. You intentionally know them. You do actions in which mm -hmm. you respond to them. You, you, you have, there are actions of affirming. You have to really enjoy the person. Uh, and I mean, arguably, I, I want to see more couples out there that look like the other person is bringing them alive, causing them to become more alive. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not sure how much that, right, right. that happened. Yeah, I mean, he, he talks a little bit about marriage. And I think the unfortunate side of that is how that's more of a contractual Thing, and mm -hmm. that that creates sort of that possessive uh, yes. that he discusses, which I think is very damaging. Um, yes, as opposed to the act of loving, as you're stating, where it's not a passive thing. Because a lot of people probably our culture says, "Oh, I've arrived now. I'm married," you know, and then that's mm -hmm. like a done. It's like something you've acquired, and mm -hmm. Trump totally argues against that whole yes. idea. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he says it, it, it talk when you are, when you get married, it gives the partner, each partner, like they have possession of each other. And so they feel like they, they don't have to be won over anymore because they're right. already each other's possession. Right. right. So then they cease to make the effort to love and to be lovable, to produce love, to do that knowing, responding, affirming, because they're like, you have to already have the person. Right. And so loving in the, in the having mode is that you possess the person mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that control of the person, but, but loving in the being mode is that you're enjoying, you're engaging and what your, your love is bringing more life to them. It makes them more alive. It makes them thrive. Uh, they enjoy the fact that you enjoy them. They're responding to the fact that you're responding to them they are caring for you as you care for them. It's a totally active uh, situation. Whereas uh, in the having mode of in loving, you're just like, okay, now you're mine. <laughs> right. And actually it's um, the way he discusses it's that's an unselfish mode. The other way of having is that self is that again, the acquisition of something, which you can't, mm -hmm. you can't hold on to that. That is, it's definitely uh and act, it's a productive activity, like like you're stating. And I think mm -hmm. we've we've lost that um, idea because of this. You know, if you've ever seen these movies, which I just can't stand, the way that ends is the whole movie is these two individuals trying to get together. Then at the end, they get together, so it's done. Like they've acquired yeah. each other, which is such a false yeah. way of showing how love in a relationship, because 
we could have love outside of a, a relationship. But um, so yeah. I think it just the culture sends that erroneous message. Yes, that that, you know, uh, love or to have love, which is not even possible anyway, but that's the whole goal. And then mm, we skip the, the part of like, oh, guess what? Uh, it's work to be in a relationship. <laughs> you got to listen to the person. You got to know yourself enough to know why when they did, when they threw the baseball the wrong way in your head, it was wrong. Why did that make you mad? Oh, maybe it's because when you were a kid, your dad threw the baseball like that and then something bad happened and scared. I mean, it's so much more work than just, oh, he sounds so perfect and he's so perfect for me. And then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've no, been, we've been sold, sold a bill of goods. Yeah. And this is uh, from just, it's, this is a great part in this book that I love or in this chapter. Um, I absolutely mm -hmm. love the part that, you know, again, that it's the act. I think that's something to sit with and think about and see how that, how we actually incorporate that in our lives. Yeah. And I think the other thing I would say is this kind of goes back to what we talked about in episode two about language, uh, verbs and mm -hmm. nouns. And love is a verb mm -hmm. and it's not a thing. It's not a noun. It's not something that you can have. It mm -hmm. is something that is done. Um, and so it just kind of goes back to changing the way that we orient our vocabulary too, which is something you've said, Hey, let's take that challenge on. And we invite all you guys to take the challenge with us. Absolutely. I'm going to, I'm going to work on that and get back with you. <laughs> I'm going to work on it too. Let's, let's see how we do in the next, by the next, uh, next time we do our, our um, podcast here. So yeah, I yeah. love this chapter. I think it's meaty and I think it gives some really good concrete examples of, what the difference is between the being mode and the happy mode. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely uh, stuff to ruminate on for people to think about. And I'm sure we've all, we've all fallen into the trap of doing what he's saying is trying to be in that having mode. And the goal is to go to the being mode. So it's going to yes. take some practice. <laughs> it's going to take practice. It's going to take time. It's going to take compassion. Uh, and, I, and I would say it's going to take, us as a society beginning to value um, the being mode of existence and the fruit of, of that, the good that comes out of that and making space for it. That's mm -hmm. why we wanted to do the podcast, Rethinking Humanity, uh, because there's so much good, uh, so much happiness, joy that will, will come from us making that a priority. Sure. Yeah. I'm excited for people to hear these ideas and uh, just have that out there, have that out there in the world and start to think differently. Yeah. So we're going to leave you with a little clip of um, actually an Eric Fromm interview where he's actually talking about this book to have or to be. Um, and so we want to leave that, uh, leave you with that. Uh, we want you all to stay safe, um stay well um hang in there we're we're in solidarity with everyone today and every day and we appreciate you listening thank you
Abbe Pierre once said, there's only one difference between men, those who care and those who don't care. And that, I think, is perhaps uh, a much more adequate way of describing two camps than what we know today with our political, uh, uh, political slogans. But were we to proceed not by belief, which does not allow for much examination, but by a kind of healthy skepticism, perhaps get back to uh, Earl Russell's enlightened self-interest, we might simply see by an examination of our world and how many people live on it, that the day when having can be a way of life for everyone is over. It must be. There are just too many of us. Well, Pragmatically. I, I think it is over, and the question for us is either to return to a social organization which furthers the mode of being, not in a sense that all people become saints, but that the whole society is filled with a spirit that encourages its being, or we'll just be destroy ourselves by our greediness, by the terrific greediness of everybody, which goes so far that what we do is to leave our grandchildren in a poisoned world Weapons which will sooner or later to lead to the destruction of the world. And we think only of ourselves for the moment, of the success of a politician for the moment, with no concern. Even for our own, for the future generations of our own.